most people want some things more than they want others. Is there anything that will help them to get the things they want most? Magic? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto podcast, a CastBox original show. I'm Austin Knight, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Matthew Halsbarby. Hey, Austin, and hey, everyone listening. So quick little announcement. If you haven't already, go ahead and download the free CastBox app for iOS or Android and subscribe to the show there. That way, you'll never miss out on any of our new episodes or bonus content. That's right. And if this is the first episode that you've listened on the podcast, don't forget, you can go ahead and binge through all of our previous Decrypting Crypto podcast episodes. It's also worth calling out here, if you're kind of just getting your feet wet in the world of blockchain, trying to get your head around some of even kind of the, the most basic concepts, which in all honesty are still very, very complicated, we dedicated our entire first series to walking through all of the fundamental concepts that anyone that's just getting into this space would want to know. Yeah. And in this series, we've been speaking to some of the greatest minds in the crypto world. We've spoken with Andrew Keyes from Consensus. He totally blew our minds talking about how the entire world is going to move towards tokenization. We've also talked with Amy Wan from Sagewise, and she shared her thoughts on how regulation is going to impact the space and how the entire legal system is evolving around this new technology. Yeah, that was a fun one. And not to mention, we, we spoke with Radko Ulbricht from Bitbond. We had Taylor Monaghan on from MyCrypto. Benji Rogers, former musician, now in the blockchain space, founded Dot Blockchain Media. And most recently, Gleb Nikitin from Metahash. And the list goes on and on and on. Yeah, we have a bunch more awesome guests lined up to chat with us in the coming weeks. So we're excited. We do indeed. And on the note of awesome guests, today we're going to speak with Ji Chuang, the co-founder and CEO of Listia and Inc. Protocol. We'll be discussing how blockchain technology is going to change the world of e-commerce, how the dispute resolution process may drastically improve with smart contracts, and we'll be digging into the projects that G is building right now, which he's a serial entrepreneur and tinkerer, so he's got a bunch of cool stuff going on. Yeah, just a few, just a few little things, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a good one. I'm excited about it. There's, there's so many things that we can talk about. I'm almost slightly concerned that this, this episode may go on for too long. So <laughs> without further ado, G, welcome to the Decrypting Crypto podcast. Hi, right, thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to have you on. Why don't we get things started here and you can let our listeners get a bit of an insight into how you first got involved in the crypto space in general. Sure, sure. Yeah. So I first got interested in the crypto space and Bitcoin in particular, I think back in 2010 or 11 is kind of when I first heard about it. Interestingly, like we had started the company I run now, Listia, back in 09. And uh, Listia is a marketplace that uses a virtual currency. So that's why it was kind of right in our wheelhouse. You know, we, we heard about Bitcoin and it immediately kind of piqued our interest. But beyond that kind of first, you know, contact with Bitcoin, you know, things dropped off for a couple of years and it wasn't until maybe 2012 where we, we picked it up again and, you know, signed up for Coinbase. And probably a few years after that in around 2015, 16 is when 
I think around the time uh, Ethereum kind of came out is when we kind of revisited this idea of using maybe maybe it's mature enough, maybe we can use a cryptocurrency on Listia. And then finally in 2017, around the middle of last year is kind of when we, you know, dove in headfirst and kind of completely got uh, wrapped up in, in the crypto and blockchain world. Okay, cool. And you said that Listia was using a virtual currency. Was that back in 2009 that that was the case? Yeah, yeah. So in 2009, uh, around the summer of that year, we started Listia. Basically, it's a peer-to-peer marketplace for trading used goods primarily. And the way we facilitate the trading is with a virtual currency. Now, this is a completely centralized currency, more of like a point system. Uh, We called it Listia Credits. And, you know, you can sell your old iPhone for a few thousand credits. You get the credits in your account and you can then use those credits back on Listia to buy something else. So it was a very kind of simple virtual currency that we were using. Uh, If you remember back during that time, there was like Farmville and other games Uh were just getting started so that this concept of virtual currency wasn't that new, but it was very far from what, you know, cryptocurrency is today. Yeah, it's, it, it sounds like to me similar to, um, I don't know if you ever used or I'm sure you may have heard of Second Life before and yeah. they used, they had their own virtual currency, right? The Linden dollar. And I think that had like a, a market kind of, well, I, I guess they called it GDP back then, but around 2009, it was in excess of a couple of hundred million. So it's a pretty significant centralized virtual currency. Right. Interesting. So why don't you give us a bit more of a background into Listia? And then also you have Inc. Protocol, right? Which is your decentralized kind of payments gateway. And that's what you use the uh, the token that funds within Listia, if I'm, if I'm doing that any kind of justice <laughs> right now. Um, maybe you could just expand a little bit around those two companies and what what exactly and how you would compare them to other platforms right now? Yeah, certainly. So Listia is a peer-to-peer marketplace for buying and selling mostly used goods. It's similar to an eBay or a Craigslist, if you will. And, you know, back in 2009, I started Listia with my co-founder, James. We were basically frustrated with sort of the Craigslist experience. You know, eBay had been around for many years already, and we were avid eBay users. But we noticed that you know, despite this huge marketplace existing, we still had all this stuff at home, you know, that we didn't need anymore. So uh, we built what we wanted to be sort of this light, simple, kind of safe and easy to use marketplace called Listia. The idea being that you simply snap a photo of something you don't need, uh, list it. And then as I mentioned earlier, you earn credits, which you can then use to buy other stuff. So we started that in 09. We actually went through Y Combinator at that time. And that's how you know everything started. So over the last nine years, over 100 million items have been transacted on Listia, about 10 million registered users. And yeah, things are going well with the marketplace. It's kind of a, a place you go to you know, trade stuff you don't need anymore and get stuff you want in return. Pretty impressive numbers for back then. What what was the thought process behind, I know I'm jumping in a little bit here, I'm, I'm really curious around the decision to go with the virtual currency back in kind of the earlier days of Listia. What, why not just accept USD or Euro or whatever fiat currency? 
Right, right. That's that's a great question. Yeah. So the idea around Listia was initially, if you go back to like the first, you know, blog post about us, it was all about giving and getting free stuff. So the idea is like, you know, you have a pair of snowboard boots at home. Now, this is this is the real kind of impetus of why we started it. Uh, my co-founder James had a pair of snowboard boots he tried to give away for free on Craigslist. And, you know, he got 30 emails about it. He chose one person. He left work early to go home and meet this guy, and, and he never showed up. So so this whole frustration that we had with Craigslist is what started Listia. Um, now, this virtual currency was never meant to be like a currency, if you will. It was more of a an accounting point, kind of almost karma system within Listia that helped people you know, the more you give, the more you get. And that's why we started with sort of this idea of a virtual currency that, you know, over time, it, it kind of solidified itself as a more of a currency than just a, a point system. Right, I see. So then why don't we fast forward a little bit in time and where does Ink Protocol sit in, in all of this and what exactly is Ink Protocol? Yeah, yeah. So, so Ink Protocol was born out of, I guess, our initial kind of interest in blockchain and, and cryptocurrencies. You know, we we got into it first for a very simple reason. We wondered what it would be like to convert our centralized virtual currency Listia credits into, you know, a decentralized cryptocurrency. And then from that thought process, you know, over several brainstorming sessions and product meetings, you know, we, we eventually stumbled on this much bigger concept that we call ink protocol and it's essentially like it's a peer-to-peer -peer transaction system now we took our experience over the last nine years running listia and kind of tried to distill it all down into a system that now people can use on any marketplace not just listia um, so ink protocol allows you to buy and sell with each other in a very safe and trustworthy way it includes things like escrow, dispute resolution, and most importantly, it includes this idea of a public and transferable reputation system. Think of it like when you're on eBay right now, you might have awesome reputation that you've built up over many years, you know, 100% positive feedback, but you can only use that reputation to sell on eBay. You can't sort of take it off and go sell on Craigslist or FB Marketplace or Listia. And so what we, we've built with Ink Protocol is a, a way for sellers to transact and then earn reputation and feedback across every single marketplace and channel that they want to use and then have that you know, stored securely on the blockchain, immutable, and sort of travel with them wherever they go. So now you can take your years of selling on Listia, right? And, and take that reputation and then go sell on Craigslist or other places where you know, right now there's not a good reputation or sort of feedback system in place. Nice. Is it possible for people to purchase and sell on Listia using only the cryptocurrency that you have and your virtual currency, or can they also use fiat currency? How does all of that work? So when we launched Inc. Protocol, we also launched the XNK currency, which runs all of Inc. Protocol. And so what we did was we converted all of the Listia credits into XNK, uh, which we just call Inc. So right now, Inc. 
is the only currency that you can use on Listia. So every everyone buys and sells using ink. You know, longer term, there's this idea that we want to allow fiat to be converted easily in and out. And right now we do have one feature where if you don't have enough ink, then you can pay for the rest using, you know, your credit card. But essentially everything is denominated and bought and sold using ink. Is that sort of how you're monetizing this whole product by having some type of fiat conversions occur? Or are you like pulling commissions in the form of a cryptocurrency and, and that has a fiat value to you? How, how is that working? Yeah, so uh, on the Listia side of things, uh, we're running a pretty traditional uh, business model right now. So we just take a transaction fee on certain listings. So if you if you list something and you start it at zero ink and it's an auction, then it's actually completely free. We don't take a fee. But if you list it using you know a set price or a higher starting bid, then similar to eBay, we take a, a transaction fee when your item sells, and that's taken in ink. So we're not currently in the business of exchange-type business models where we take a fee on conversions or anything like that, just a, a straight transaction fee in ink. I find that really interesting, sort of how you're dog-fooding your own currency, if you will. And not only are your users transacting in ink, but your monetization strategy is dependent on that currency as well. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, we, we definitely dove, you know, headfirst completely into this, this world. Yeah, Inc. Inc. is uh, doing well on Listia so far. So we're happy. Yeah. Was there so speaking of diving headfirst into this, I imagine that it was a gigantic investment for you to create Inc. and integrate it into Listia. Uh, why wouldn't you use a more traditional, I guess, if it's traditional at this point, token, uh, <laughs> like Ether for, for something like this? What, what kept you away from the other cryptocurrency options? Yeah, yeah, that, that is a great question as well. You're right, th those are considered uh, traditional at this point. Yeah, so I think from a tech standpoint, we could have used you know, any number of other cryptocurrencies purely for payment. But when we built Inc. Protocol, it was really all about decentralizing reputation, helping buyers and sellers connect safely sort of across multiple marketplaces. So the Inc. token is central to how the protocol works. It's required to write the reputation. It's earned by mediators. It's staked within the contract when there's escrow. So, you know, rather than use Ether, which is you know purpose-built for running these smart contracts, we, we thought it would be better to create um, an ecosystem around this sort of ink token, which we believe is a cryptocurrency that should be used for all kind of peer-to-peer -peer transactions. And I think most importantly, it just kind of creates, you know, creating a native token just creates a strong user incentives, network effects that we, you know, wouldn't get by using, you know, either Bitcoin or Ether, something that's used outside this ecosystem. And I guess lastly, like, the way we launched everything, you know, dog fooding our our own currency, you know, to truly jumpstart all these network effects, we needed to distribute ink to millions of our users who are already using the Listia marketplace. So that was the best way to achieve the goal. Mm. And is is ink actually built on top of Ethereum? Is it is it an ERC twenty the ink token? Yeah. So ink is an ERC twenty token. 
Inc. protocol is a series of smart contracts that include the ERC-20 token Inc. And that was all deployed when we launched. And the other piece of it is sort of this concept of third-party or decentralized dispute resolution contracts that you can plug into Inc. protocol. Right, okay. And it sounds to me like what, what you're saying is that Inc. being used within Listia is one part of the puzzle. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds to me like what you're, at, what you're actually saying here is Inc., the token, and the Inc. protocol more specifically, you see that being deployed across other marketplaces and across other like online commerce areas in the future. And is that is that a big part of the growth strategy for this this token, this protocol? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we we built Inc. to be a very base kind of transaction layer that we hope will power sort of the future of decentralized marketplaces. And Doing that, we do understand that we have to start with centralized marketplaces because, you know, we're not, we're moving quickly in that direction, but, you know, it's going to be a while before people are truly transacting in fully decentralized ways. So, yeah, Inc. Protocol is designed to be integrated into other marketplaces. You can already use it directly to like buy and sell on, if you imagine marketplaces like OLX or Craigslist, where the marketplace isn't managing your transaction. It's just sort of a classified listing platform. That's a mm-hmm. great place where you can already use Ink Protocol. And we recently released a dApp called Ink Pay that makes it easier. So you don't need to, you know, mess with smart contracts yourself. Yeah. So, so using sort of Ink Pay and Ink Protocol, you can already use the transaction system anywhere you want. And yeah, we built it to be, it, it's open source. It's all, kind of out there. We don't make money when people use it. It's it's meant to be sort of this base layer for powering all types of P2P transactions with associated like reputation and feedback. So we hope that, you know, as it spreads out and is used in more places, it becomes more useful because now you have your feedback stored on the blockchain from all these different places. And, you know, the next time you go transact on a new marketplace, you're already vetted. You know, people can can see how trustworthy you are already. So on a marketplace like OLX and Craigslist, it would essentially come down to the buyer and the seller agreeing to use Inc. as the method of purchase and, and transaction, right? That's just like them choosing to do that. And I imagine that uh, part of the benefit would be the escrow piece that you mentioned. Is that correct? Like, are there added security benefits or peace of mind that somebody might have by transacting in that way? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that's a great question. The The whole idea behind Inc. is to make it as easy and trustworthy as doing a transaction on like eBay, where you know eBay has customer support, they have your back, they have their own escrowing and dispute resolution systems. Now, Inc. Protocol kind of encapsulates that into a you know, its own sort of decentralized protocol. And the way it works is like if you're selling something on Craigslist, uh, you can just paste actually your QR code or your Ethereum address right there and say, hey, this is me. Look up my reputation. And taking that address, you know, you can look on the blockchain or through the Inc. Pay app 
and see, okay, you know, this seller has had 10 successful transactions in the last month, all with positive feedback. And I'm going to pay this person now, right? So you also pay directly to that address. When you use Ink Protocol, the payment is kept in escrow. The seller then ships you the item and you can mark it as received and then the funds get transferred. So sort of all the things you come to expect from like an eBay-like transaction, you can do in a fully decentralized way through Ink Protocol. Essentially through like a smart contract yeah. that, that is automatically set up. The one thing it, it does have that we haven't you know, seen work out in the wild yet is this idea of like third-party dispute resolution. So right now when you use like Listia and eBay, there's always a customer support team to, to help you. Um, in the future, if you imagine like a fully decentralized P2P transaction, what happens when there's a dispute, right? Well, there's a hook in Ink Protocol that allows both the buyer and seller, they can agree on you know, either a service or marketplace or even an individual or actually a, an automated smart contract to help them resolve potential disputes. So that's a big part of how the protocol works that, you know, as these things mature, I think will be an important step in helping people really transact without you know, a big central marketplace there. Very cool. And how would, how on the dispute resolution side of things, I'm curious, how does that actually work? Like, how is it enforced? I understand what, what we're saying here in terms of, okay, if we have some kind of smart contract where two things have to be fulfilled for the dispute to be resolved, but like, what if I don't send an item to someone after I've paid for it, right? Like, how can dispute resolution work in that respect? So the way it works is on sort of a logistic level, you know, the money is tied in escrow until the buyer says, I got it. Uh, now in your scenario, the buyer is going to say, hey, I never got this. I want to dispute this, right? And mm. so within the smart contract, it gets escalated to whoever you guys both agreed on to begin with. So let's say we both agreed, hey, we're going to use you know, Listia's dispute resolution service for this. At that point, it gets escalated, and whatever service you chose will then have to do what you, know, you do now, which is maybe email both of you, ask for proof, ask for tracking numbers, and, and then make a final call. So the protocol allows for the hooks, but it's still going to be up to, in this example, it will be, you know, a judgment call from a trusted individual or, or service. And um, much like on eBay or Listia today, you know, you eventually have to, to trust sort of a person or team to make a judgment call. So um, they're not always going to get it right, but it, it falls back to kind of this human element. But I think really... Really cool is what we imagine in the future where, you know, instead of a person, maybe maybe me and you both agree, hey, as, as long as you send me a tracking number that's correct, mm. then it'll be considered done. And I'm only willing to do that because I see that you have 100, you know, positive feedback over the last year. So that that's something that uh, we imagine happening more of the time where you don't need to get a person involved. And there could be a smart contract checking like a shipping oracle and all it does is okay you, you know in the u.s it's a usps tracking number uh, shows delivered then you release the funds so we imagine most of the situations will be like that 
And for high-priced items, you can always enlist, you know, the help of a, a mediator. Yeah, that would be really sweet if you could have like the, the the actual tracking code hook up, and then as soon as something's signed for, it just immediately basically acts as the ultimately still a trusted third party, but it's at least still semi-automated in some way, shape, or form. Whereas, I think one thing myself and Austin we talked about this in series one of the podcast around smart contracts and. There are so many platforms that I see and individuals talking about dispute resolution in smart contracts and skimming over the very topic you've just dug into, actually, which is realistically, we still do need trusted third parties right now until we move to something that's a lot more sophisticated, where we can have things, whether it's dispute resolution or even just fulfilling the criteria of the smart contract on a transaction level there often needs to be a human involved in that. Right, right. Yeah, so we've been running Listia for a long time now in sort of all the various types of disputes that we see daily and tried to distill it down and say, hey, you know, even on Listia today, almost all of the disputes are settled automatically through, you know, automated state machines between, you know, the buyer and the seller. Eventually they figure it out. And only very few of them need even our own customer support to, to spend time helping. And, and obviously, we want to do that to provide great service. But we think that the same mechanism can work in a decentralized way where, you know, 90 plus percent of all disputes are just resolved without need for human intervention. But the other percentage that, that need it, you know, there's there's ways to get it done. I think that a lot of potential users could actually take comfort in knowing that. I know that there is a tendency in this space to want to be able to say, oh, look at this amazing new technology and how capable it is. It completely runs itself. And maybe maybe that's a good sort of long-term dream that we can all focus on. But I think that certainly for the short-term sell of something like this and to get people to comfortably adopt it, knowing that there is an element of human influence and that sort of mediator that is a safety net, the trusted third party in a transaction like this, I think that's actually a benefit. Yeah, yeah. It's a great fallback. It's also something that's needed long term and at scale. And yeah, so like on Inc. Protocol, if you are a mediator, you can set a transaction fee. So we realize that people aren't going to help each other resolve disputes, you know, in any quantity for free. So actually, you can set yourself up as, you know, a dispute mediation specialist. You know, you take ten percent transaction fee if your help is needed. Things like that to really incentivize the entire kind of uh, network to work together. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I think as well, like, I mean, me and Austin have joked with this before, but it's kind of like the, the the phrase I hear quite a lot now is like, there's no customer service for the blockchain, right? And and that's usually used in the context of losing funds from your wallet, stuff like that. But it's very much the case here when we think about transactions. And on the other side of the coin, the, the thing that interests me around this from a business perspective as well, right, is you have companies that spend a huge amount of money on customer service and dispute resolution and a lot of the focus over the past, I'd say in particular, two to three years within that space has been how can we automate 
dispute resolution? How can we automate customer service? And we've seen things like chatbots come up a lot more to just even in remove some of the wasted time of just customer service representatives spending building rapport initially when that could be done in an automated fashion with a bot. I feel like this potentially could then take that efficiency to a whole new level, but instead of potentially reducing trust and maybe increasing perceived risk from the consumer, I, I feel like it does the opposite of that. It actually bolsters the amount of trust that the user will have and makes it more efficient for whether it's a centralized company still running the customer service here or whether it's completely decentralized in an ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We, we see kind of this type of protocol or this type of system, you know, across many different verticals, you know, we're doing it for P2P and marketplaces. But the idea is that you lay the groundwork and then you still allow businesses to thrive and run their own business models on top of it, but ideally making everything more efficient, right? So in the future, people can, you can create your own sneaker selling marketplace and just use ink in the background. And all you have to deal with is kind of the hosting and the distribution and now there's this whole aspect of a marketplace that you don't have to kind of build and deal with. And as a result, you don't need to charge fees for doing that, right? So it's it's kind of, you know, across all this technology, you know, people are building ways to make it more efficient. And if businesses can still run on top of these things, then that's a, a big win for everyone, I think. Right, absolutely. We're, we're coming close to time i just had one more question that i that i wanted to kind of squeeze in here and it kind of um I, i'd really like to hear your thoughts on this g because we've talked a bit about the ink token and the plans that, that you have for that and one of the counter arguments that i hear a lot and to a certain extent i, I have to agree with this in some respect is that there are a lot of different tokens that are appearing that are trying to focus on similar things. I think one token that comes to mind or one project is like Monetha and they're focused in the e-commerce space and dispute resolution. And the thing that I kind of always come back to here is asking the question of how much do consumers themselves actually feel comfortable right now using cryptocurrencies? And the second part to that is, do we believe that having a number of these different tokens all existing at once could confuse consumers even more and reduce potential adoption? Or do you think that actually that's just the way that this space is going to go and people are going to get used to using a variety of different cryptocurrencies and, and tokens for commerce? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's an awesome question. Um, so we spend a lot of time thinking about you know, how do you get actual mass adoption of cryptocurrencies and blockchain-based technologies? And interestingly, like right now especially, it's all about hiding the complexities of the blockchain. Like when you're talking to, you know, blockchain enthusiasts, you play up all those terms like blockchain decentralized and, you know, P2P and, and, and they love it. But on a marketplace like Listia, where, you know, our users are from all over the U S it's, it's middle America, middle income. And it's not sort of this, echo chamber of tech enthusiasts um, that are all into blockchain, right? It's your everyday people. <laughs> yeah. And so two things, like one is like, we're very surprised at how well they've been able to take and adopt to kind of ink being on Listia. So we have 
know, over 2 million items listed using ink already, thousands of transactions per day. And the most complex it gets is you have to know what ink is. And there's like a settings page where you can uh, deposit or withdraw ink. Uh, now, the way Listia is run, most people just buy and sell on Listia. So they don't need to deposit or withdraw that frequently. And so it kind of runs itself. And from that point of view, like Listia is like the version of a marketplace where you hide all the complexities. But when we talk about ink protocol being used outside Listia, it's, you know, you need to understand smart contracts or at least ether addresses and, and, and all these things. And so we have these two worlds where there's hide as much as you can. And then there's the world where you expose it all. So people who are excited about it can understand. And it'll be you know, a long time before it merges. But I think to your to your question about like the tokens, I feel like there's there's kind of two answers. One is, you know, I think there will be a set of cryptocurrencies that will be sort of the the high level ones with, you know, it has its own branding, its own brand name. Bitcoin, Ether come to mind, obviously Litecoin. And they'll be used as is and things will be denominated in those currencies. We designed Inc. to function that way. So on Listia, everything's denominated in ink. And we we hope that it becomes sort of the currency you use for P2P transactions. But we're very practical as well. So ink is, you know, it's required to, to use ink protocol. But we understand that, you know, people are going to buy and sell using fiat. People are going to buy and sell using Bitcoin, other things. And so there's also this world of, of tokens that are required to use the protocols that, you know, long-term, a lot of these tokens might be hidden from the users. So we can imagine an eBay-like marketplace that runs completely on ink protocol in the background. They have to own a lot of tokens to run all these transactions, but maybe the users don't necessarily know about ink or XNK. And I think that's, where the majority of these tokens you're seeing are going to find their place, where they can be instantly converted to and from other tokens via decentralized exchanges and sort of running in the background. And they'll have their value, but they don't necessarily need to be branded or kind of very high-level top-of-mind tokens. Because you're right, there's there's only so many tokens that a, a typical consumer will need or want to care about. Well... I'm so sad that we're coming up against time right now, G, because it has been wonderful to have you on the show. I can definitely speak for myself and Matt in saying that it's been a thrill to hear about the vision that you have for Inc. and the strategy that you're taking to achieve that vision. And I have to say, as a designer, to hear how you are thinking both about the technology, but also the practical application of that technology and how humans and users in middle America or anywhere around the world for that matter will perceive it is very compelling and, and encouraging to me. I think that we need a lot of that in this space in order for you know real life adoption to occur. So it was wonderful talking to you and I'm sure that so many of our listeners will want to know more about what you're doing. And they're probably even going to have a bunch of questions to shoot your way. So how can our listeners learn more about you and get in touch with you? Sure, sure. So if you're interested in Listia, it's listia.com and or search for Listia on you know Android and iOS and you, you can check that out. But if you want to get in touch directly, 
with me on Twitter, Jihuan, G-E-E-H-W-A-N, or search for my name on, on LinkedIn and you can find me there. And then lastly, because we talked mostly about Inc., you know, Inc. Protocol, if you want to find out about how it works or chat with us or the community, you can find us either on website is Pay with Inc. or Telegram also Pay with Inc. and Twitter is also Pay with Inc. So you can find us across all those channels. That's awesome, Chief. Thanks again for coming on the show. This has been super interesting. And yeah, I'm sure everyone here listening enjoyed it too. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. It was really, really fun chatting with you all. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to show your appreciation to me and Austin, make sure you subscribe and leave us a review on the CastBox app or on your favorite podcasting platform. We'd really appreciate it. If you haven't already, make sure you download the free CastBox app where you'll find us as one of the CastBox original shows. You can also visit thecoinoffering.com to learn more about cryptocurrencies, get caught up on some news, see how your currency is performing, and you can finally follow us on Twitter at The Coin Offering. Lastly, but not leastly, you can ask us any questions you have by emailing us at podcast at thecoinoffering.com. The Decrypting Crypto podcast is a CastBox original show, and its content should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.